Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? The sun is out. The sun is shining. Anybody get wet from all the rain this week? Yes. <laughs> you stayed inside, right? <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad for a, a, a gorgeous day today. It's a little nippy out, but it's going to warm up into, I think, the yeah, mid to upper 60s. So that's, that's awesome. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and worship with a, a, a couple of songs and uh, invite us to stand uh, if you're able or if you're so inclined to stand while we worship. Um, but let's go ahead and just give God what he is, what is due him. Give him all glory, all honor, all praise. And as we worship, let's focus on the words. Let's focus on what we're saying to him. Because that's really what worship is. It's giving our heart to God. Whether that be through song, whether that be through actions and the way we live our lives, it's showing our love for God and it's giving our heart to him. So let's invite his presence and then let's worship. Lord, we invite you into this place. We're here because we love you and we want to meet with you. So fill this place with your presence. Meet with us this morning. Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Lord, you are holy. You are holy. And we worship you. We worship you. There's no one like you. No one who compares to you. You are all powerful. Everywhere present. All knowing. All holy. And yet you love us. Because you first loved us, that we love you. We bless your name. We lift up your name. Amen. 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 <laughs> like that participation. <laughs> Um, one announcement to make before we move on, uh, and that is I am very pleased to announce that starting next week, we are going to be uh, opening up Kidsmen again for elementary age. Uh, that'll be our first stage, so that starts next week, so younger kids will have a classroom and have lots of fun, uh, I'm sure. So. Uh, that starts Sunday, the 28th, this coming Sunday, Palm Sunday, and uh, yeah, and then Easter is in two weeks. Can you imagine? Wow, does it seem like it should be? How many say, yeah, this winter's been long enough. I'm ready for <laughs> spring and for Easter. And my family has cookies to decorate for Easter. Your family has cookies to decorate for Easter. That sounds real yummy. And you know what I'm wondering right now? Yeah, we'll be right over. I'm wondering if I get a taste of any of those cookies. I have to make sure they're good enough for you. What? Plus, we're bringing them to church. 
All right. <laughs> so I will get one. Hopefully. I don't know. This is a this is a tough crowd. If you don't get in first, you know. Um, all right. Um, I only get what I, I didn't hear that last word. I only get one batch. Uh, okay. Um, all right. Um, uh, I just want to mention uh, before we move any any further that um, uh, our offerings have, as we know, have taken a little different look. Instead of passing the bags now, if you bring your offering in in person, then you can. Uh, uh, drop it in one of the boxes by the exits on your way out. Um, and uh, that way we'll keep everyone safe. And uh, if you prefer to give electronically, you can just go to our website, bloomingtonvineyard.com, and click on the Give link, and it'll follow you through the prompts. Very, very easy to do. Uh, or if you prefer by mail, uh, mail it to Vineyard Community Church, P.O. Box 3277. Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. And the P.O. box is preferred over the street address, a little, just a little more secure. So that's P.O. box 3277, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. So with that, also I seem like I'm a little bit on the loud side. I don't know if I am out there, but um, up here. Father, we just ask right now that, uh, Lord, we open our hearts to you and what you want to say. I pray that you would, the words I speak would be your words and not mine. Uh, so come and just uh, um, speak through me today, Lord, and help us to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love that. We're <laughs> The story we're looking at today is interesting on several levels. Uh, for one thing, at the very center of it stands a widow. And that's significant because women in this culture uh, at that time were not very highly regarded in general. They were valued less than men. They, they, they weren't a, uh, allowed to testify in court because their testimony wasn't considered valid, which I think is interesting that the people that Jesus are first told to go spend, send the message and tell the message that he was risen was women. Uh, tells you what he thought about that, uh, uh, that practice or, or value rather. But they weren't, they, you know, their opinions weren't valued. They, they, weren't, uh, uh, they weren't considered as intelligent as men. I mean, honestly, that's, that's what one thing that it just boiled down to. And that was just the culture of the day. That wasn't, you know, what God was saying or, or the believers were saying. That was the culture of the day in which they lived. Um, and sad to say, much of that thinking still exists in some parts of this culture, some parts of our culture today. For example, I had a friend who had to have some work done on their truck, and she took it to a dealership and uh, got the truck fixed and, you know, came back to pick it up. And she's going through the list of things that were charged. 
Um, and she sees a diagnostic test listed twice. And she questioned that. Why is this twice? And she was told, well, it's because we had to run it twice to figure out what was wrong with it. I mean, same exact test that tells the same exact thing, but they had to run it twice. I think really what happened, they thought, this is a woman. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know anything about cars, doesn't even know anything about mechanics. And, and we'll just, you know, pad the bill and pull one over on her. And, you know, I find that, that, that in, in people I've talked to, women often feel like they are treated differently because, you know, in a situation like that, they're treated differently than if they go in with their husband or with another man doesn't matter if they know more about mechanics than the guy does they're treated differently um and uh you know it's it's our culture still has some of that thinking um and by the way she ended up not paying for the second diagnostic test because she called him on it but anyway women in the, you know that, that, that women in this culture were marginalized to begin with and and but a woman with a husband, I'm mean, excuse me, a woman without a husband, a woman who was a widow, had even a rougher time. They were marginalized even more. And, and that's why, you know, you read through the Old Testament, there's, uh, there's a lot to be, uh, that it says about making provision for those that are marginalized, you know, women's orphans and, you know, and so forth and the poor. And when Jesus came along, though, he started to change all that. He treated women differently, and he elevated their position. See, here's the thing. When Jesus came to earth, we think of what did he come for? Well, he came to, you know, uh, die on the cross for us so our sins could be forgiven, and all of that is very true. But he did a lot more than just coming to open the door for heaven for us. He came to remove the curse which came upon creation, all of creation, when sin entered the the uh, the world and he came to restore all things back to the way that god originally created them to be and this included elevating women to where they were before the fall standing side by side uh, with man as his equal just as it was in the garden of eden that's what he came to do restore things to the perfect creation he had that before man screwed it up and fell. But that that's really another message entirely. Um, today, we are looking at the third target of our red letter challenge. Uh, and we're going to talk about the area of giving because it's a topic that Jesus had a lot to say about. And there's numerous passages that we can look at both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're zeroing on the words of Jesus and we're not even going to cover all of those because he had so much to say on this topic. But our focus today is going to be on a story in which a poor, marginalized widow is the hero. She had no important status. She was not wealthy. There was nothing that would cause people to take notice of her when she walked into her room, except for Jesus, because he was different. Jesus took notice of her, and he not only took notice of her, but he held her out as an example to follow, someone to strive to be like, be like this woman. 
He held her up as that example. Let's read it. It's found, the story is found in Luke chapter uh, 21 at the beginning of the chapter. It says, as Jesus looked up, he's, he's there in the temple there. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also, also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow was put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Here at the center of the story, Jesus holds up this poor widow, this marginalized woman, as an example for others to imitate, to be like. Now, how unlikely is that? Not only does he set her up as an example, but he sets her up as an example of what? Of giving. You know, I've I found that over the years that some of the people with the, with the, that have the least have the biggest hearts to give. And that was this woman. I mean, he could have pointed to all the wealthy people putting in their large gifts, writing their large checks, making huge donations and all of that. Instead, he draws attention to a widow who put in two very small copper coins. The coin there, the particular coin she put in is called a lepta. And it literally means the thin one. The thin one. It was the smallest of all coins that were in use at that time. And uh, William Barclay tells us that a lepta was worth one twentieth of a new penny. So she puts in two. So how much did she put in? She put in a tenth of a penny. A tenth. Others were giving their large gifts. She gave less than a penny. And Jesus said she gave more than all the rest. I want to look at this story and see what it tells us. And the first thing we see, we, you know, Jesus makes it plain just through the things that he says that when we give, it's not about the money. It's not about the amount, and it's not about the money. Verses 1 and 2, Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. If this was about the money, Jesus would have made a big deal about all the larger gifts that were given rather than the two small coins. If it was about the money, he would have held up as an example the person that wrote the largest check. Anybody still use checks? You know, anybody still use checkbooks at all? I think I write like one or two every few months. You know, that's, that's about it. Um, everything else is electronic. Um, but, but, you know, he would have made a large, a, a big deal about who gave the most rather than the two small coins. Now notice, he doesn't say anything against the larger gifts. He wasn't knocking them for, for, for giving or saying anything negative about them. He just wants to make sure his, his disciples don't overlook that widow's gift because she gave, in one sense, the most. See, our tendency sometimes can be, can be to make a big deal when a large gift is, is, is coming in, or, or is given rather, and not as big a deal as a smaller gift. Our tendency is to evaluate the one here and the other one here. Our tendency is to think, well, if I can't do a lot, then I can't do 
it's not worth it to do anything. What does my little meager pittance matter? My two leptin worth, so to speak. Lepton, I guess, is the plural, but, but you know, what, what, what does it matter? This should tell us that it's not about the amount, it's not about the money. If we make it about that and we ignore or negate the smaller gifts, then we're looking at the wrong thing because it's not about that. So if it's not about the money, what is it about? Let's look. Let me give you three things. The first thing is, <clears throat> it's about trust. It's a matter of trust. Again, verse two, he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he says, truly I tell you, this widow was put in more than all the others. And it says, she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Everything. Now, what was everything? It wasn't a whole lot, was it? <coughs> Remember, like what, one-tenth of a cent. Two small coins, not even worth a penny. She could have just given one. She could have said, I have two. That's all I have in the world. Lord, I'll give you one. And kept the other one. She still wouldn't have had much, but she at least would have had something. But she gave it all, 100%. She had nothing left to live on, which means that she was putting herself fully into God's hands because that was the only way she was going to be able to survive. You know, it's one thing to trust God when you have a bill to pay and you can't see where the money's going to come from. It's one thing when you, you know, have, have trust God when you have like, okay, car insurance is coming up and I'm not sure where I'm going to get it from or rent or mortgage. Or, 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 you know, the, the coverage running bare and, you know, you've got kids to feed and I'm not sure where it's going to come from. Or gas. I remember one time when we were uh, uh, new, brand new believers and we were, I was a student here at IU, which meant no money, right? I mean, we had a little bit, but not much. And we were driving down to Bedford for church. I remember thinking, looking, saying we have this much money left. We can either put gas in the car or we can go to church. And we decided we were going to go to church knowing that we didn't have enough money in the bank, or in, we didn't have enough money left to get back for gas. And, and so, you know, we went, we went to church, you know, we're worshiping, we hear the pastor preach and, and you know, all this goes on. And, and we're getting ready to uh, to go, you know, and I'm kind of thinking, I don't have gas in the car. Well, after church, somebody invited us over for lunch, went to their house, and uh, then went back to church for an evening service. And I'm still thinking that. And then somebody came up to me at the end of service and shook my hand. His name was Joe. And he shook my hand, and I could tell there was something wadded up inside it. Uh, his hand and when he shook it, it's kind of known as a Pentecostal handshake, you know, if you're familiar with that term. So, you know, uh, he said, Lord wanted me to do this this morning, but I didn't. And uh, so I, I, I looked at it as 20 bucks. Back then, 20 bucks was, you know, worth 20 bucks. And uh, it was enough to put gas in the car and actually uh, get us a few things to eat uh, till payday, you know, the, the rest of the week. So, um, but that's one thing, 
you know, when, when you, when you, you know, trust God or something like that, but when you trust God to take care of you completely, because there is no option, then that's something else. That shows a faith. I mean, she had no income. She had no savings to fall back on. She had no social security. She had no stimulus checks. She literally gave all that she had, and that shows a faith and a trust in God. And it showed that not only did she have faith or trust that God was able to take care of her, but that also that he would take care of her. You know, when I look at the widow in this story, it makes me pause and wonder, how much am I trusting God with what I have? You know, when, when, when God tells me to do something out of the ordinary, how much do I really trust him to do that, that he's going to take care of me if I do that? Um, you know, it's like I said, it's one thing to trust God when things are tight, when it's a matter of looking out what you have and figuring out how you can finagle it to make it stretch. It's something else when there's nothing to finagle, right? Have you ever been in that spot? A good indication of how much I'm trusting God is how open my hands are. I'm not saying like, you know, we need to be like the widow and give everything away. You know, God doesn't tell us all to do that. Uh, but what I am saying is that how tightly I hold on to what I have is a good indication of the level of trust in, that I have in God. If I told, hold tightly to everything I have, then that should tell me that I'm not really trusting God very much because I'm holding tightly to what I have. On the other hand, when I live with open hands, that's an indication that I'm fully trusting God. To live with open hands simply means this. I mean, it doesn't mean to give everything away. It simply means that whatever I have belongs to God. And he can do with it whatever he wants with it. Because it's his. That's all it means. It doesn't mean empty hands. It means open hands. Saying that the things that I have are God's and he can put his finger on it and say, do this with it or do that with it. Or he can say, spend it on yourself. Go out to eat. Do something for yourself. Do something for your family. Or this person over here, that person over here. So it's a story about trust. It's also a story about worship. Once again, verse 4. All the people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The reason Jesus held her up as an example is not because she gave a large amount of money, but she gave her all. See, her motive wasn't to be seen. She figured she'd just slip up there, drop it in, and nobody would even notice her. She'd go unnoticed like she did the rest of her life. She wasn't doing it to be seen. She wasn't doing it to, for any accolades. She wasn't doing it to impress anyone. For her, it was an act of worship because it was all she had. Nobody asked her to give it. It was given freely of her own accord out of a heart of worship. See, when you have a heart of worship, 
It's easy and it's natural for sacrifice to flow from that. We sacrifice for something that means a lot to us. When we love someone, we make sacrifices for them. When you love your spouse, you're willing to make sacrifices for them. When, when, when parents love their kids, they make sacrifices for their kids. I remember growing up, you know, we always had everything we needed, but I never realized, you know, my, my, how the sacrifices that my parents made and how much they sacrificed for us kids. I never knew how tight things really were until years later when I heard some of the stories because they didn't let us kids know. So we grew up knowing that if we needed something, it was gonna be, we didn't get everything we wanted, but if we needed something, it was going to be there. We never worried about what we were gonna eat, except the one time my mom made liver. I really worried about that. Um, worried, you know, yeah, anyway. Um, Could have been Brussels sprouts. Could have been, well, sometimes it was Brussels sprouts, and that was almost as bad. If anything beats Brussels sprouts, it's got to be liver. Anyway, growing up, uh, you know, I never knew the sacrifices my parents made, but, but you make sacrifices for those that you love. This woman's sacrifice in giving everything she had demonstrated her love and her devotion for the Lord. She gave it as an act of worship, and it was all she had to give. When we love someone, giving is not a burden. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Cannot. Not, should not, simply cannot. And this reiterates, it's not about the money, it's about who or what rules our heart. And that's the fourth point. It's about our heart. It's about our heart, it's about our heart's attitude. And that's what it boils down to. Whenever you're talking about giving, or being a generous person, or living a generous lifestyle, you're talking about an issue of the heart. That's what it boils down to, is the question of who rules our heart. Whoever or whatever rules our heart will be will determine our attitude toward money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we live in a culture that is fixated on money. It's, it's an idol in our culture. It is literally an idol in our culture. We don't mind spending on all kinds of other things, but when the Lord says something, says, I want you to do this with it. I want you to go help it. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I can spend a couple hundred dollars for a, a, a ball game, but not not me. I No game is worth that to me. Um, I get, you know, we, we, we can spend, you know, money on something like that and all these other things. But when the Lord says, I want you to do this, then sometimes we struggle with it because it's an idol in our culture and we can't get around it. You know, often it's the number one determining factor in, in making decisions, major decisions that we make. Often the number one determining factor is things like, you know, in things like what job someone takes or where they choose to live or even how they vote is, how is it going to affect me financially? 
You know, sometimes the best job to take is not the one that offers the most money. Sometimes the best move to make is not the one that looks the best financially on paper. You know, instead of asking God what he wants, often we ask ourselves, well, what's going to be the best decision financially? Now, there's nothing wrong with taking the financial consider, you know, component into consideration, but it should always be subservient to, God, what do you want? What are you saying? This one is offering this much. This one is offering this much. Which one do you want me? Or this one tells me to stay, or this one, you know, I, I have to move across the country, but which one do you want, Lord? That should be our question. Let me just close with this, with a challenge, that each of us examine our attitude toward money and become aware of how often the financial element affects the decisions we make and then become intentionally, begin to intentionally take some steps to be free from a money-driven mindset to live a more generous lifestyle. So I'm not saying, you know, like I said, I'm not saying that the right choice is automatically the one that's hardest to make financially. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying is ask God and then and then do whatever we can to take the grip of the idol of money that is so prevalent in our culture to take to, to, to break the grip whatever grip it has on us. And I've got some suggestions, you know, having to do with three areas of giving. First area is, yes, the church. I mean, that's what, you know, the, the tithe is what is what keeps things running, the tithe. The tithe, for those that haven't been coming along, is simply what the Bible talks about, giving one-tenth of our income to the church. Um, it's the only place in Scripture where God says, Test me on this, but this message isn't about tithing. I'm talking about giving in general. That's just a starting point, and that's just just the one issue. The no, another issue is ministries outside the church, supporting another organization, or supporting a missionary, or supporting a compassion child, something that is outside the church that involves regular planned giving. Regular planned giving. And then a third thing is in the community. Are we seen in the community as a generous people? What do they think? What do they think of when they when it, when a Christian? Let, let, let me give you an example. I want to give you an example of you go out to eat after church and it comes time to pay the bill and tip the wait wait staff. You know, if we want to change the way that if, if, if we want to change the way that the community views Christians and therefore views Christ, a change in this one thing could go a long way toward that. Ask any waitstaff person, any waiter, waitress, and they'll tell you that their least favorite shift to work is the Sunday after church crowd because the tips are generally pretty poor. I'm not talking about everyone here. I'm talking about, you know, down the road. <laughs> tips are generally pretty poor. 
And I believe that, and I've said this before, Christians should be the biggest and best tippers around. I really do. I really believe that. Now, often I hear things like, well, the service was lousy. The service, I mean, it really stunk. You know, I had to wait forever. There was nobody there, but I had to wait forever. The table was dirty when I got there and, and so forth. And the food was cold and, and that, you know. And, and let, 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 let me just propose something to you. I propose that we be like Jesus who always gave us his best. Sound like a good idea? I think it's safe to say that in here, right? I propose that rather than tipping based on someone else's performance, I propose that we tip based on our identity. Let me say that again. I propose that in tipping, and we're talking about generosity, right? In tipping, rather than basing it on how someone else performed the service that we got, instead base it on our identity, who we are in Christ as a recipient, a recipient of God's extravagant mercy. I believe in being extravagant as much as we are able in our tipping, whether the service was good or whether the service was bad, whether they deserve it or whether they don't deserve it. Can you imagine having a, 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 a waiter serve you at the restaurant and, you know, their service wasn't very good and they seemed distracted and they didn't pay attention. They didn't, you know, come by and fill your drinks every, you know, 30 seconds and, you know, everything else. And, and then living, leaving them a tip that was, I don't know, half the size of the bill or the full size, something like for the wow factor, just maybe that might begin to change the rest of their day. You never know what they were going through. Maybe they've got a family member in the hospital with COVID. Maybe they've got something terrible going on in their life. Maybe their car just broke down and they, they had to, you know, hitchhike or, or walk to work just, you know, because they couldn't get the car fixed. And, and that's on their mind. So they're a bit distracted when they're serving. You never know what's going on in somebody's mind. And to get a tip like that, that could change their day, that could change their outlook. Anybody here? I think I got a little quiet. <laughs> if you want to do something that will break the power that money has over you, then start to do that. Start to take your regular tip and add to it and let it build until you get to the place where you don't even think twice about tipping based on who you are, no matter what the service was like, that makes them look and say, whoa, where did that come from? All right, let's stand. I hope what you hear what I'm saying this morning. Because this is not about a message about, you know, anything other than our heart toward the Lord and toward money. 
to make sure that our priorities are right and that we are not bound by the idol that rules so many people in this country when really every single one of us has so much more than nearly everybody in so many other countries. I don't say that to say we should feel bad about it. We live in a country where God has blessed us. You know, even when things are tight, we have so much more. And that's, we don't feel guilty about that, but we, we have a responsibility to take what he's given us and use it in a way and steward it in a way that brings him glory. Let me give you the benediction. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through whatever storms may come your way. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you and may he show you many wonders this day and this week. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. We'll see you next week.